Hi, my name is Marty. And my name is Chris, and we've been using the Sex Drive app for about two weeks now. Yeah, the Sex Drive app is really easy to understand, and to find out when your spouse was ready for sex, now that was really appealing. Once it started giving us daily notifications of when our spouse was ready for sex, man, that really opened our eyes. I always assumed that my wife only wanted to have sex when she saw me doing my daily push-ups. But I found out I was wrong. And I learned that my husband has absolutely no filter between daily activities and sex. If it wasn't for the Sex Drive app, I wouldn't have learned that my wife's sex drive actually starts with a back massage. And I wouldn't have learned that my husband is like a begging dog waiting for his treat. Thanks, Sex Drive, for helping us with our sex drive. Thank you, Sex Drive. I love you. Hey! Okay, it, it only gets scarier from here. That's all I'm saying on the deal. Hey, I just real quick before we get started, I just want to uh, say welcome to everybody who's watching us on live stream at Santan and then at our uh, Cornerstone Scottsdale campus. You realize this is our second Sunday and very cool. We had a great launch last week, so we're just thrilled that they're part of this service. And uh, in case you haven't figured it out, uh, we're talking about sex for the next six weeks. We've had a ton of criticism. We have gotten phone calls like we never had before. We have gotten emails cussing us out. Uh, it's been an interesting journey to get to here today. And anybody want to guess who is the most offended with the fact that we're talking about sex? What group of people? Christians. Isn't that, isn't that remarkable? Christians are the most offended that you and I are talking about sex. Don't tell anybody but God created sex. <laughs> I'm just saying, you, you realize he's the one that invented the plumbing. <laughs> he put the nerve endings where he put the nerve endings so that it would be pretty wonderful. You realize there's a part of the female anatomy that God created that serves absolutely no purpose in reproduction. It is simply there for pleasure. And God got done and said, it's good. <laughs> I just, this, is, this is his gift to us. It is an amazing, amazing thing. And it's interesting to me that you and I struggle with this. I think part of it is, is that perhaps we've experienced something that was outside of God's design. We've, we've, we've experienced maybe something that was a cheap substitute or a disappointing uh, and we suddenly said, wow, you know, maybe this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And you guys just need to know, this is probably one of the most precious gifts ever given to men and women. And there's, there's nothing dirty about it. There's nothing to be hidden about this. There is something to be modest about, but there's nothing dirty about this. I, I just wonder how God feels when you and I take what may be one of his most precious gifts and make it feel like it's dark, I wonder how deeply that hurts the heart of God, that we so misunderstand this topic. And a matter of fact, here's what we're going to suggest over the next six weeks, here's what we're going to do together, is we're going to suggest that God is like hugely 
pro-sex. Matter of fact, here's the deal. Anybody know what the first command in the Bible is? Anybody know? Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, first command of the Bible, have sex. He says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Get to Proverbs chapter 5, and he says, when you're having sex, have fun having sex. And then you get to 1 Corinthians, and it says, and don't stop having sex. So this is, this, is a, this is not a topic that God is weirded out about. Matter of fact, here's what God is going to say to us, and you're going to find this happening all through our discussion. God's going to say the reason you and I struggle so much with this is that you and I have accepted a cheap plastic imitation of this actual gift that God gave us. That we live in a culture that says to us, hey, look, it, it's just casual, it's only physical. It's just two people together finding a physical gratification. And God says, look, if you do that with this incredible gift, you turn it into something that is an absolutely cheap imitation of the real thing. No wonder you're disappointed. No wonder this causes so many regrets in your life. And what if what if God is offering you and I something that is so much better, so much more real and beneficial for our lives, and we're missing it because we failed to have the discussion together? Think about this for a moment. If you were on a game show and you got called up as a contestant, and uh, they said to you, hey, behind door number one, big wheel, big wheel. And at first blush, you said, hey, that's pretty cool, you know, pretty fun, kind of a neat prize. And then they open up the curtain for door number two, and this is sitting there. How many of you people go, boy, that would be a hard decision, Lynn. I, I'd have to really stop and think about that. And as obvious as that choice seems, you realize that's the choice that every last one of us has about this topic of sex. We can either buy into the plastic imitation that the world offers that says all it is is physical enjoyment. And guys, here's what you need to say. It is physical enjoyment. It is fun. There's, there's all sorts of thrill to this thing. The problem is that's not all it is, and it's impossible for you and I to come and have plastic sex and not be deeply disappointed, and here's why. Because every single one of us comes to that moment not just physical beings, we come to that moment soulish beings. And there's something so powerful about that union between a man and a woman, this joining together that goes beyond and transcends just the physical pleasure and deeply affects our souls. And if you and I are not conscious of that, and if you and I don't understand that, we will never experience real car sex. We will always end up with a plastic substitute. So grab your Bibles. We're just going to dig into this today. We're going to give you a hint we're going to give you a hint of where we're going and, and of what God promises and offers to you and I. And then over the next five, six weeks, we're going to unpack how to get there. So here we go. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, you work to the left, you're going to find this book of 1 Corinthians. It's right before 2 Corinthians. I had to go to seminary for that. 
is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 15. Here's, here's what it says. Do you not know? Look, 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 look. Do you not understand this? Tell, tell me, tell me that you realize there's more at stake than this. Do you not know? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Now, here's what you've got to get in the moment, because the majority of us, I would guess, in this room would say, well, no, 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 I mean, I would never go out and be with a prostitute. I mean, that, that's kind of dirty and off. You need to understand the culture in which this question is being asked. A prostitute in this culture is simply a woman who is making herself available physically to men for casual sex. Because here's what you need to understand. The average woman in this culture would never consider having sex with a man outside of marriage. Here's why. There aren't contraceptives invented yet. So the likelihood that she gets pregnant and then discovered and, and has huge shame within that culture for having a child that was, was never worth the risk. She would never consider that. The second is this, that when she came to her wedding night, if she wasn't a virgin, she was not marryable. So the average woman in this culture is not available for casual sex. Take it to modern day. Here's what he's saying to you and me in the 21st century. Would you ever... Would you ever consider being casual about sex? Would you ever consider saying, hey, look, this is just a physical thing and it's just something we're going to do and it's just for mutual pleasure and whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, would you ever go about this casually? Would you ever settle for the plastic experience of sex? And he says, no way. No way, if you knew what you were missing, if you knew what you were giving, no way would you do that. It's back to the passage. Do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them in a casual sexual experience? Would I ever do that? Never, never would I consider that. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, he who has, she who has this, kind of reckless, un, just, we're going to do this, it's just about two bodies rubbing together, that's what, when I do that, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said, you ready, the two, the two will become one flesh, and here's what you got to get in the moment. God is trying to say to you and me together, no way this can be taken recklessly or frivolously. No way this can just be about a physical experience because in that moment, you will always bring your soul. And in that moment, if you settle for the plastic car, if you settle for the cheap car, you will miss it. You will change in that moment. And what you will give away is the actual real experience, the amazing gift that God gave you, and you'll sell yourself short. So let's talk about that for just a little bit today. What is this one flesh experience that God is inviting you and I into? 
that is a part of a man and a woman being together sexually, that goes and transcends the physical contact that occurs in that moment. So here it is. Here's what one flesh sex looks like. It is an absolutely holy moment. This is why when Christians start to think of it as being something dirty or they're so wrong. This is a holy moment. It's almost a sacramental moment. You know what a sacrament is, right? communion and baptism. It's almost a sacramental moment between a man and a woman in which, you ready for this? In which there is a promise given, an oath made, in which two individuals, as they come together and join their bodies together as one, are making a promise to each other that says, we will become one. That is my promise to you. Did you ever wonder? Did you ever wonder why God designed male and female anatomy the way he did? Why did he make it so that there had to be this joining of two together into one? I mean, why didn't he just say, hey, uh, you want to get her pregnant? Pat her on the back. It would have been a lot easier, a lot less work. And yet in God, ready for this? Think about this. In God's design, The moment is a moment in which two choose to physically become united as one. It's part of this one flesh experience. And what you need to know is that in that moment, beyond all the sweatiness and beyond all the fun and beyond all the heavy breathing, there is a promise exchanged to be one in life, to be one in heart. How many of you have figured out that marriage can be competitive? Okay, the rest of you are lying or you've never been married. Because here's the deal, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff that has to get decided. When you put a man and a woman in the same room, that can be scary. And now we got to decide who's going to decide how we discipline the kids and who's going to decide where we go on for vacation and who knows how to load the dishwasher the right way. I mean, there's a ton of stuff to work through, and there, there is intuitively in that bringing those two people in the same, a ton of competition to win and have your ideas and your plans and your thoughts be the ones that come to the top. How many of you have ever been part of a sports team? Okay, a couple of you. The rest of you are in band? Maybe, I don't know, maybe this happens in band too, so maybe this will work, I don't know. All right, but if you're ever on a sports team, here's what happens, you get, to, you get to practice. Before you ever get to the field, you get to practice, and part of that is tryouts. Part of that is trying to figure out who's going to be on the starting rotation, who's going to sit on the bench, and guys, this is competitive because there's somebody else trying out for the spot you want, which means think about this dynamic on a team that when you start out together, you're actually rivals. You're actually competing for the top position. There comes a moment the coach makes the decision. Somebody has to go sit on the bench. And if you're not careful in that moment, especially if you're the guy or the gal who has to go sit on the bench, that competition stays in your heart. And you watch as the games proceed and as you sit there and you go, boy, I hope that guy misses the next ball. 
I hope when he gets up to bat, he just whiffs. Because the thought in your heart is, if they fail, it may give me the opportunity to succeed. I may be able to get into the starting rotation. You realize that a team that never crosses over and realizes, I need that person who's playing first base, even though they got the spot that I wanted, I need them to succeed. Because if they succeed, the team wins. Does that make sense? And a team that never gets over to the other side of that competitive spirit is doomed. A marriage. A marriage that takes a man and a woman and puts them in a room together in this incredibly competitive culture that never transitions over to say, look, 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 this isn't about me winning and this isn't about me coming on top on the argument because here's the, look, 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 look. We're a team, and we may have started off as two, but we are becoming one. And when you win, I win. And when you listen, I am blessed. And we are going to be one. And God gives us this incredibly vibrant, physical picture that every time a man and a woman are together in the marriage bed, he is reminding your heart, be one with him. Be one with her. Remember, remember I said a minute ago, it's kind of sacramental. How many of you have ever taken communion? Okay, a couple of us. All right, so here's the deal. You know that when you take communion, uh, we give you stale crackers <laughs> and we give you Welch's grape juice that we bought from Fry's. Okay? There is nothing mystical about the grape juice. There's nothing mystical about the cracker. You don't get to heaven because you ate the cracker, okay? Matter of fact, it was probably the generic brand anyways. There's nothing special about the cracker or the juice. What is special is what the cracker and the juice remind our hearts of. That's the wonder of communion. And here's what it's supposed to do. When you take that cracker, it's supposed to remind your heart that you didn't earn heaven, that there was nothing you could do. You couldn't go to church enough. You couldn't join the Cub Scouts. There was, there, you couldn't do anything to earn heaven. The only way you got heaven was that Jesus exchanged himself for you on a cross because that cross was your cross, and Jesus took your place. And when you take that cracker, which is supposed to remind you of the body of Jesus, you say, hey, I get it. The only thing that works, the only thing that has changed me was taking Jesus into my life. When you drink the Welch's grape juice, you and I are supposed to be reminded that that didn't come cheap, that it cost Jesus his life to make that exchange. He shed his blood. And in that moment, as my heart is reminded, you and I are supposed to sit in that moment and say, look, 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 look. If Jesus was willing to die for me, I think I'm willing to live for him. It's the power of the sacrament. Is, ready? It's the power as you and I play at receiving Jesus into our lives. Now go to the marriage bed. The power of a man and a woman uniting physically to be one 
is to remind your heart she is not your competitor. This is not about you beating her out. This is not about you being the boss of everything. It's to remind her heart that this isn't about finding some way to manipulate him or control him subversively. This isn't, this isn't about moving enough pieces to get your own way. Because, 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 you ready? He is not the enemy. She is not your competitor. You are one. You realize every time a man and a woman come together physically, you're really repeating your marriage vows. You're really saying, I choose again to be one with you, to do life with you and with nobody else because we are the team. You can never do that with casual sex. Your soul will never make that bond your soul will never hear that said. Number two, what, what, is, what is one flesh sex? It is an absolutely sacred expression of love between a man and a woman that nobody else in the world is supposed to have heard. See, when a man and a woman are together physically, it's supposed to be a statement that says, here's the deal, look, and this is why I don't go sleep with the secretary, and this is why the neighbor is off bounds, because here's the deal, I love you differently than every other human in this world. That's why this isn't casual. That's why this isn't just physical. That's why it's not frivolous. I am declaring to you a love that is different. It is one flesh, different than the love I express or offer to any other human being who exists in the world today. It's interesting because I was talking to a young lady not too long ago, and she said, Lynn, I, you know, this whole thing about Christians and, you know, they're waiting for sex and, you know, this, you know so stupid. It's so judgmental. I don't care. I don't care if the guy I married's had sex with 14 girls before me. I, it's just not a big deal. Why would I worry about that? I want to go off and have sex with other guys before, so why was it a big deal? You know what's interesting? I guarantee you that same girl would be absolutely offended if he gave her a ring that he had given to another girl. Think about it. I mean, guys, you already know this. Think about this. Ladies, you get engaged. It takes him three years to figure it out. About 40 romantic dinners where you were waiting and nothing happened. And finally... Finally, he gets down on his knee, and he gives you a ring. I mean, it's, and it's a spectacular ring. It's beautiful, and it's covered with diamonds. And, and here's the thing. That ring says to the heart of a woman, he chose me. And so they, she's got, you've got that ring on your hand, and immediately your posture changes. It, it happens every time. You ever seen a girl who just got engaged? Her entire posture, she walks completely different. Oh, you noticed my ring. And now all of her friends are gathered around. They're ooing and they're aahing. It's a spectacular ring. And in the midst of all the celebrating, in the midst of all the wonder of it, she notices that her friend isn't celebrating very much. 
Matter of fact, she's strangely quiet and she actually kind of walks off to the side. And so she goes to her friend. She says, hey, what's the deal? I mean, aren't you happy for me? And she says, well, yeah, no, I'm happy for you. I just don't know if I should tell you something or not. She goes, no, no, tell me. That ring, that ring that Jeff just gave you, that's the same ring he gave his other girlfriend. Now, guys, I look, even the men in the room know this answer. There is a phone call coming. And she's on the phone, she's going, hey, come over here right now, get your dirty ring. You're going to melt that sucker down. I don't care if you trade it in at the pawn shop. Get me my ring. Isn't it amazing that you and I will get that worked up over a hunk of metal? And yet the most beautiful, God-given, intimate expression of love, we don't care if he's already shared it with 14 other women. Think about this, guys. You come to the wedding, you come to the honeymoon night, and you've been with 14 other girls. You realize you're coming to that marriage bed, and here's what you're saying. You're saying, look, 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 we're about to celebrate our union. We're about to declare our love to each other. But here's the deal. I've already declared my love just like the 14 other girls. There was Tammy, and there was Alice, and there was Jennifer, and none of them are in my life anymore. I thought I loved them at the time, but I want you to believe that what we're about to do really is special. If she's got the sense God gave a rock, she's not buying it. Which guys, you've missed the big car. One of the deepest needs of a woman, anybody know? Security. Security. How powerful is it to the heart of a woman if the man that she gives herself to, find the man she marries, is able to look her in the eyes and say, you and I are about to do something together physically. I am about to express my love to you in a way that I have never expressed that love before to any other human being. How secure does that make her feel in your love? You realize you're filling her emotional tank. How, how excited do you think she's going to be to get that tank filled again and again and again? with your expression of love. It's the best thing a guy ever does, is wait. It's why, you ready for this? If you're in this room and you're a male and you're single, stop pressuring women to have sex. You're cheapening your own expression of love. No, 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 no. I, I, know, I know we got some people in the room and you go, Lynn, well, wait a minute, you know, here's a problem. I, I've already been in the plastic car. I mean, I've, I've already been there and I've already been pretty sexually active and, okay, stop. <laughs> Draw a line in the sand and just say, hey, from this day forward, no, I'm going to wait until I'm 
with my spouse. I'm going to wait till I can give that gift to them. How powerful was it last week when Sean Lowe was here? And you remember the conversation that we were having and, and, you know, we were kind of joking around. He was going, Lynn, you know, they were calling me the virgin bachelor. I wasn't a virgin. You know, it was all over People Magazine and the virgin bachelor. He goes, I was in college. I was playing for K-State. I was playing Division I football. All the guys on the team were out messing around with all the girls they could get. I was in it. And then one day I realized I was leaving a string of wounded women behind me. And he said, I just chose to stop. I I decided on that day I was going to get out of the cheap imitation, I was going to get out of the plastic car, and I was going to wait till my honeymoon. How honored, how honored do you think Catherine was on their honeymoon night for Sean to be able to say, hey, look, when the moment I figured this out, I held this for you that you would know that I feel differently about you than any other human being in the world. It's big car stuff. Last thing, last part of one flesh sex. And, and okay, you gotta put in your thinking hats if, you, if you're gonna get this one with me. How many of you have figured out that women are typically physically modest? How many of you have figured that out? Okay, those will be news. All right, good. (laughs) Not always, but women are intuitively physically modest. This is why, guys, look, you marry her. She comes out of the bathroom after taking a shower. She's got a towel on. You're like... We're married. Men, you ready for this? Men are not physically modest. We come out of the shower. And here's the stupid, we don't have anything worth showing. You ready for this? It's got to sink in. Men are modest, I know that sounds weird, men are modest emotionally. See, if you want to talk about which is most sacred, most holy to a man, it's my inner thoughts. And I will not share that. I will not expose that to public view. Women, you are so immodest emotionally. I mean, get a group of women in the room, blah, 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 blah. how does that make you feel? Oh, I was so mad, blah, 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 blah. And men are just going, wow, you're saying that out loud? Wow. Because she's not modest emotionally. He is. Isn't this interesting? Think about this. Isn't it interesting? that the thing she wants most from him, which is emotional connection, is the thing he is most modest about and most reticent to give. Isn't that interesting? And that the thing he wants most from her is the thing that she is most modest about intuitively 
in our life. So here's what happens. They decide to have casual sex. They, they agree to the rules ahead of time. They say, look, it's just, it's just you know, friends with benefits. That's all, that's all we're doing here. What he doesn't know and what she doesn't understand is that this is impossible because the moment she reveals herself, the moment she gives herself physically because of how God has wired her, she is going to intuitively turn and wait for him to give himself to her emotionally. It's why you see all the time on TV, even, even secular TV shows, they get done having sex and all of a sudden she says, are you going to call me? What's the status of our relationship? Because God has wired her intuitively that the moment she uncovers her modesty, with the moment she reveals herself, she is longing for an emotional connection with that person. How many of you have heard of the Mount of Transfiguration? Okay, about three of you. Okay, all right, good. All right, so we're going to learn Bible today. There's this amazing moment just before Jesus goes to the cross in which he takes his three deepest friends, Peter, James, and John, off from the rest of the group and he says to them, I'm going to show you something really, really cool. I'm about to reveal something about myself that you've never seen before. And in that moment, okay, Jesus reveals his divinity. There's a moment in which he peels back his humanity and everything that is God comes spilling out of him. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the moment that Peter and James and John get to peek in and say, oh my goodness, you really are God. And Peter's going... This is so cool. It's interesting because in that moment, the Bible says God, Jesus showed his doxa. He showed who he really was, doxa. When she gets physical with a man, she shows her doxa. There's a part of this that is so intimate to a woman so defining to her soul that she immediately longs for a connection. And the problem is he thinks he's agreed to the rules that, hey, this is just physical, there's no strings attached. And so as she turns to look to him and he rejects, he goes, oh, hey, that was great. You know, see you next week. She is absolutely violated and wounded. I don't care what she agreed to. You find a woman who can be physical with a man can reveal her doxa and it doesn't matter to her, she's been so wounded by men that she's lost her expectation. Men, let me, let me see if I can help you with how deep an offense this is. Because you're modest about your emotions, imagine sharing with a friend something that was the deepest you in your heart, something that was just revealing about yourself and imagine that they didn't keep it in trust. A couple years ago, I, uh, I was with a friend, and I just told him something that was very, very personal about myself. And it wasn't lascivious, it wasn't anything bad. It was just personal. You know, because men are supposed to be macho and strong, and I told him a place, you know, that I didn't feel so macho and strong. 
he laughed. In that moment in which I showed my doxa, my personhood to him, he laughed. And I will tell you, I immediately said, I will never trust that guy again. Because that's a violation, isn't it, guys? When she shares her doxa and turns to connect with you emotionally, and you go, hey, it was great, it was a lot of fun, a good deal, she immediately is betrayed. She immediately says, I'll never trust a man like that again. I'll never give my heart that fully to a man again. It's a wound. And it is a deep, deep violation to her personhood. Little girls, when they grow up, what do they play? House. Little dolls hanging around. And they always want to borrow their brother's G.I. Joe's because you need a man. Girls love the story of the princess. And you notice in the story of the princess, there's always a man who comes to rescue her heart. When a woman gives herself physically to a man, she turns to say, are you the prince? And every time a man says, no, that was just for fun. You won't. You won't. It's why God says, guys, 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 don't ever crawl into the plastic car. Don't ever settle for the world's definition of sex. There's just, there's something that is so much more powerful to be had here if you just do this well. Because watch this, you ready? It's our wedding night, and she reveals, she shares herself with him intimately. She immediately turns to see his response. And in that moment, he says, I want you to know, here's the deal, I am the prince. I am the man that will guard you and protect you. I am the man that will stand with you against every enemy. You are safe with me, and I will share my heart and who I am with you. And I'm telling you that when she hears that, she is instantly drawn to him. It's not a decision she makes. It's not something she has to think about. She is instantly drawn to him. And in that moment, as she is drawn to him, and now she's going to instantly respond to him physically because he's the man. He's the prince. He is drawn to her. And suddenly, one flesh this knitting of our lives together. It's interesting. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. When describing the first time that Adam has sex with Eve, here's what it says. And Adam knew Eve. Not had physical pleasure with her, not, you know, tested out 13 positions. No, no, no. He knew Eve. You get what it's saying? They shared souls. They saw each other for who they were and understood each other. And men, I'm just telling you in this room, if you, if you think I'm wrong, if you think I'm totally messed up on this, do, do this. Find a moment. Find a moment this week to lean over and whisper in your wife's ear, 
and say, I'm the man. I'm the man that will love you like no one else loves you. I am the man who will fully give himself to you. I am the man who will care and protect your heart and will show you his own. And see how she responds. Go back to the game show. You and I stand in a moment right now to make a choice. You know, big car, plastic car. All of our friends are choosing plastic car. And your heavenly father is seated in the stands. And if your heart will listen right now, he is calling out to you, choose the big car. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we, we have messed this up. We have so bought into the imitation plastic expression of sex that this world offers. It's no wonder that we as Christians are so disappointed with your gift. And God, we, we love and we're so thrilled with the idea that you gave it to us for joy and for, for fun, but in the midst of it is this whole soulish experience, this whole connecting of our souls one to another. And God, help us. Help us today to crawl out of the little car and go find the big one. Help us to obey and follow and trust you that there's something amazing at the end of this journey if we simply do it differently than our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.